Um, if, uh, if you see anyone missing this morning, it means that they love hunting more than they love Jesus. Uh, I was only half kidding. I was, it was also daylight savings, but we gained an hour, so they can't use that as an excuse, just in case they, they try using that. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Zach, and I'm the family pastor here at Sunrise. How many of you are parents? Okay, all right, most of you. And uh, so most Sundays, I'm in kids' church, and uh, I love what I do, I really do, but do you know that you feeling that you get when you're a parent, and sometimes you just need some adult time? Okay, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now, and so, so I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, you know, most Sundays, I wish I could be in two places at once. I want to be in there with the kids, but I also want to be in here with all of you as well. Uh, but we are here together at sunrise, and uh, I hope that you're ready to grow this morning with that extra hour of sleep. Hopefully that gave you what you needed to be focused this morning. And uh, it can be easy for church to become routine. And uh, it's good when it becomes routine in the sense that it becomes ingrained in our lives, our, our weekly lives. Um, but it's a negative when we start to lose expectancy of what God is going to do in our lives, what he's going to do, how is he going to speak to us on a Sunday and through a Sunday. And uh, so I hope that church does not become a, a routine thing in that sense. I, I hope that we never lose that expectancy that we have for what God is wanting to do in our lives. We are starting a brand new series this morning, Can You Hear Me Now? And you're probably familiar with this phrase uh, from the Verizon advertisements that started back in the early 2000s. And they, they built on that phrase, that idea, for many, many years. Uh, Verizon wanted to convince you that they were your best chance at a clear connection. One of the most interesting new topics of research for psychologists, for sociologists, is the relationship that is developed between humans and their phones. Uh, I, I once had someone tell me that if I'm ever interviewing someone, I need to find a way, find an excuse to go look in their car, and, and I would know everything I need to know about that person. I can see how clean they are, I can see how much um, attention to detail they have, I can see what kind of food they eat, depending on what's you know, still in the car, I can see what kind of interests they have, you know, if they've got hunting gear in the back, or fishing gear, whatever it might be. And, uh, because we'll often go and change our appearance, okay? It can be a quick deflection from maybe what our, our norm might be. But uh, going and changing our car or our house, that gives you a really good piece of someone's everyday life. And I think that the, the more and more uh, we can find all we want to know or need to know about a person from their phone. Okay, think about if you had full access, access to someone's phone and you, you were able to read through their conversations and see what most of those conversations were about. Or if you were to, to go ahead and look at how many different apps they had or which apps you know, do they spend the most time on. For mine, it's fantasy football. Um, that's definitely the, the biggest one where most of my time is spent. Maybe they're the kind of person who, who they don't want to text. They don't want to do you know, anything else with apps or emails. They just, a phone is to call. And that's the only thing I use it for. I'm not going to use it for anything else. Um, or maybe they're the kind of person who has like 137 different kinds of apps on their phone. Anytime I uh, borrow or use my wife's phone for anything, all I feel inside is chaos and anxiety. 
I mean, seriously, at any given time, she has like 17 different apps running and she's got like 38 internet browsers open. And I think to myself, just like, how do you live like this? It's just so different from, from the way that my mind works. Uh, but phones, they've become a, a blessing and a curse. Um, I can call my little sister who is currently studying abroad in Italy right now. And, and how cool is that, that I can just pick up the phone and, and talk to her when she's thousands of miles away. But uh, about a week ago, I was hunting, and I, I wound up simultaneously watching the Dallas Cowboys game on my phone. And I was just, you know, I almost felt guilty afterwards. Like, why couldn't I just be in that moment of hunting? Why did I have to try to do both at the same time? And so there, there's that blessing of interconnectedness, uh, but there's also that addictive side, too. Think about it. What, what's the first thing that most of us do when we wake up in the morning? For a lot of us, the first thing we do is we grab our phone. We go ahead and look at our phone. We check for updates. We look for Facebook messages. We look for texts. We check our fantasy football stats, whatever it might be. Okay, when was the last time you went to the bathroom and didn't bring your phone? If you forgot to bring your phone, you probably got to the bathroom and you momentarily forgot what you were even doing there. And you're like, oh, what, what am I supposed to do now? And uh, so, yeah, yeah. So get this, the average person checks their phone 80 times a day. 80 times a day. Can you imagine that? Imagine what our spiritual life would look like if we checked in with God 80 times a day. That just blows my mind. A study showed that 31% of Americans feel separation anxiety when separated from their phone for any amount of time. Phones are so ingrained with our our every day, our every hour life, that when we don't have our phones, our mind is so used to our phones vibrating and signaling that we'll think that it is, even if it isn't. There's a a term for it. It's called phantom phone vibration. Have you ever had this? Okay, so so you, you reach into your pocket, and you're like, my phone's not there. And you're like, I could have sworn that it was vibrating or, or making some sort of noise or beeping. And then you kind of feel foolish. You're like, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't just checking for my phone. It's, it's in my car. And uh, the, the interesting thing is the same thing happens when someone has to have a limb amputated or if they lost a limb. Uh, they'll, they'll be laying in bed and they'll reach down to scratch their leg and they realize that their leg isn't there anymore. Because there's this process that your mind has to go through because it's so used to all those nerves, okay, signaling and communicating with your brain that there's this process that your mind has to go through to get used to that limb no longer being there. And uh, that, that same type of communicate, constant communication that your limb has is almost to the point of what it's like with our phones, this, this constant communication between our, our brains and having to check this all the time. They took a poll and they found that four out of 10 people would rather lose their voice for a day than be without their phone for a day. Think about that. Almost half of our population would give up being able to communicate verbally so they could still communicate via phone. Uh, For better or for worse, cell phones have become a main source of communication in most of our lives. And uh, it's even challenging and rivaling regular talking as the primary mode. And it, it's, hard to, it's hard to conceptualize that, but that, that is where we're moving. John 10, 14 through 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. They know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I give my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this sheep pen. I must bring them in too. 
They also will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. So this is where we are going to be coming back to for the next three weeks during this series, Can You Hear Me Now? Jesus says, the sheep know me. They, they listen to my voice. And so I want us over the course of this series, I want us to be vulnerable in the sense that we truly evaluate, that we are truly honest with ourselves about where our communication with God is at. If you're not hearing from God on a regular basis, could it be that you don't know what his voice sounds like? If you're not hearing from God, maybe you just flat out aren't listening. Maybe God is being, being silent because he's, he's waiting for you to carry through, follow through with what he's already told you to do, and you're not doing it. And you're hoping that he's just going to change his mind and give you something else to do, but really he's just waiting. Perhaps you're spiritually drained, and that, that's making it hard to hear him. Or could it be that you, you've surrounded yourself with the wrong people? You've put yourself continually in situations Okay, that, that bring you away from God. And because of that, it's hard and difficult to hear from him. So more specifically this morning, we're, we're going to try and grapple with finding clarity in our communication with God. Have any of you ever had an embarrassing story that you never told anyone? Okay, a couple of you. Uh, so I'm going to share one of those with you. My wife doesn't know this story. Uh, Pastor Mark doesn't know this story. And, and I was actually with him um, when, when this happened. And uh, so this happened when I was uh, deer hunting in Wisconsin. I think it was about two years ago. And I was bow hunting. Now, if you are a Christian deer hunter, you will inevitably go through these three stages while hunting. And that, that first stage is anticipation. All right, you, you get in the stand, you're pumped to be out there, uh, you're excited. And as you settle into your stand, uh, you, you can hear your heartbeat. Okay, all your senses are heightened. You feel like daredevil. And, uh, you know, all, all the things around you, it's still dark, but even with that limited vision, okay, you, you feel like you're more aware of your surroundings. You can smell the decomposing leaves, every little sound you pick up on, you hear every bird, chipmunk, even falling leaves. And the second stage is boredom. When you're in a stand all day, eventually you get bored, okay? That initial excitement wears off, that prime hour right around, you know, sunrise has passed, your imagination's already done several loops of coming up with things to think about, which leads into that third stage. And uh, the third stage is begging and bartering. After, after sitting for several hours, the Christian hunter turns to asking God for a deer. And uh, if you're a hunter, you know you've done it. And uh, so this conversation happens where it's like, hey, God, uh, you know, I've, I've been sitting here a while, and, and you tell us in the Bible that you love us. Well, you know what? I, I think I would feel most loved and appreciated if you would cause a large buck to walk out of that, that thicket right there. And, I mean, it doesn't have to be crazy big. You know, I'd be satisfied with an eight-pointer, you know, or a 12-pointer would be nice. And then you instantly, like, regret getting guilty. You're like, nope, eight is fine. Eight is good. I, I was thinking eight as well. You know, as if God's up there like, a 12-pointer? Who does he think he is? And so, so anyways, back to my story. I'm, I'm hunting. It's a beautiful day. I settled in my stand. You know, I'm ready to draw at a split second, waiting to hear or see a deer come by. And uh, a few bambies and a few small doe do come by, but they weren't worth shooting at. And so the, the forest gets a little bit quieter. Time passes by, and eventually the, the wind picks up slightly, and I'm left with my own thoughts. 
And a, a few more hours passes by, and I, I begin my conversation with God. God, I'd, I'd really like a nice buck. Come on, what, what do I need to do? I'll, I'll pray more. And, you know, so, so that, that begging and that bartering starts. And, and after talking for a while, I believe that God is going to send a big buck my way. And, and I feel like he's telling me to get out of my stand. Now, generally, you don't want to get out of your stand, okay? Deer, deer have excellent hearing, and uh, it's really almost impossible to creep up on a deer because of all the leaves and the twigs on the ground. And uh, so not to mention, when you're up in a stand, you're, you're also out of their, you know, sight line. I'm usually about 15 feet in the air, and, you know, the deer aren't walking around like this, scoping out the trees. And so when, when you're up in that, you know, you're, you're out of their sight line, which is a good thing. But I really feel that God is telling me to get out of my stand, and so... I slowly get out of my stand. You know, I, I climb down my ladder. I've got an arrow already strong, and, and I'm looking around side to side like, all right, God, what do I do now? And I, I feel like he's telling me to walk out of the woods. So the, I, I came in the woods. I feel like he's telling me to walk out that same way. And so, so I begin walking out. I'm, I'm on the balls of my feet, you know, trying to be really quiet. And uh, my heart's starting to beat a little bit faster at this moment. And the, the trail brings me to the edge of the woods. And right around the corner to the left is a field. And, and right around there, um, so, so I'm hugging that left side of the trail, you know, don't want anything to see me or hear me. You know, I'm cringing anytime a leaf crunches underneath my foot. And I, I believe that God's telling me that my big buck is right around that corner. And so my heart is beating really fast right now. And so I, I get to that very corner and I drop down on one knee. And I've got my bow ready and I lean to the side so I can scope the field. And there it is absolutely nothing. And, and I instantly feel really stupid, and it, and it gets worse. Not more than a few seconds go by, and this time God actually speaks to me, and he says, you've forgotten the sound of my voice. And I just sat there, I was shaking my head, felt embarrassed, wondering how in the world I let my mind convince me that God was talking when it was really just me wanting a big buck. How is it that I had seemingly lost all clarity to be able to determine God's voice from my own thoughts? Without clarity, you'll be susceptible to being led astray by just about anything. And I think back to that moment, what what must have been playing through my head during that time, and I think to myself, I'm glad that it's just a deer I wanted. Because obviously what I am desiring plays a huge part in what I hear. Thank God that I, was just, that I wasn't desiring something destructive. It was just a big buck that I wanted. Clarity is a necessity to be able to chase after God. Without it, it's really only a matter of time before we begin chasing things that are going to draw us away from God. Romans 12.2. Don't live the way this world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Then you will be able to test what God wants for you, and you will agree that what he wants is right. His plan is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to break this verse down a little bit, and so I want to start with that that first phrase, don't live the way this world lives. This is saying, don't be conformed. Now, for a long time, many Christians have misinterpreted this verse and, and some other ones like it, to mean separation from the world. And so what happens is when we take this protectionist approach, 
where it's like, okay, I've got my faith, I've got my salvation, I'm good, so to keep it, I should just create this bubble that can separate and that can isolate me from the regular world. And in the Bible, there were religious leaders called Pharisees, and this was part of their approach. They, they, they separated themselves from anything and everything that they thought could taint them. And they were then disgusted and appalled by Jesus when they saw that he spent his time with drunks, prostitutes, sick people, tax collectors who were notoriously corrupt. Now, the worst part about bubbles is that at some point they burst. And, and we see this happen a lot of times with, with kids who grew up in church. Okay, and as they get older, at some point that bubble bursts, okay? Exposure happens, and they don't know how to filter anymore what they've just experienced, what they've just been exposed to. Sex is a good example. It's a tough subject to talk about, I, I understand that, but, but many parents, many pastors with good intentions have used bad practices to approach the conversation about sex. Do you know how many times I've, I've talked to someone and they've told me that growing up, their parents and pastors told them, sex is dirty to talk about, so just don't talk about it. End of conversation. And, and that was it. And then they get to middle school or high school, and 75% of all conversation is about sex, and they have no idea how to filter and, and think through and talk about those things that they're hearing. They have no outlet for questions. And so then one of two things happens. Either extreme amounts of guilt okay, build up on their conscience and they think that something is wrong with them for thinking about sex, or they begin to think what everyone else is talking about is true because they have nothing else to compare it to. They have no other context through which to filter it. I bet some of you right now even are, are uncomfortable with, with the topic of sex, but sex isn't dirty, okay? Sex is pretty awesome. God created it. I've been told before that the, the subject of sex is inappropriate for church. And my response to that is, well, then what you're really saying is that the Bible's inappropriate for church because sex is in the Bible. God created it. Instead of spending all of our time talking about how sex is misused and abused, which it is, okay, it's, it's horribly misused in our society, okay, but instead of spending all of our time on that, let's be proactive. Let's talk about how great sex is and explain the context for which God created it for, to create a filter. When you isolate, you tend to focus on what you are against, not what you're for. You focus on the negative. Talking about negative, is anyone else sick of the midterm elections? I tell you, I, I get so much junk mail every day, and whenever I'm watching TV, okay, every other commercial is some sort of negative campaign ad. And, and they're not, I don't even know what any, hardly any of these candidates stand for because the only thing they talk about is they grab a soundbite from another politician that they're against. They take that soundbite, they take it completely out of context, and they use it to smear that candidate. And it just is absolutely maddening because they're wasting all their time on the negative. And then we wonder when our media, when our politicians are full of this kind of thing, we wonder how that negative bleeds into our life. We have a whole culture that is surrounded on the negative. You will lose influence when people only know what you are against, not what you're for. Now, the opposite of living in a bubble is just as dangerous, and that's living life unfiltered. That's when we refuse to use wisdom, and we just let anything and everything into our lives, and we tell ourselves, well, I'm not going to let it affect me. And that's just ridiculous, because we are all products 
of what we let into our lives. So somewhere in between these two extremes, okay, living life in a bubble and living life unfiltered, okay, somewhere between those extremes, we find our spot of being apart and yet not conforming. But that first statement, don't live the way this world lives, that tells us what not to do. The next statement tells us how we can accomplish that. That next phrase, let your way of thinking be completely changed, transformed. The way we accomplish not living the way the world does is by transforming the way that we think. And perhaps the most vital part of prayer is aligning our thoughts to God's. The way we transform our thoughts, the way that we transform our mind is by creating a filter in our lives that is composed of prayer, that is composed of God's word. Guess what? Transformation isn't going to happen if you aren't listening. Listening to what God says, listening to what God's word is telling you. You won't gain clarity by talking alone. Okay, you can ask God clarifying questions. Okay, you can use those questions to process through what you're thinking, but the clarity isn't going to come from those questions. The clarity is going to come from the answers that he gives you. So this verse tells us, don't conform. You do that by being transformed. And once you're transformed, he tells us to test it. How do you find out if a hunch, a hypothesis, a theory is true? You test it. You test it by trying it. You test it by by asking mentors in your life about it. You test it against the Bible and what you know about God's character to be true. Sometimes you test too early and you think that God is telling you a big buck is around the corner and then you feel really stupid. My thinking in that moment was obviously not as transformed, as aligned with God's as I thought it was. So that verse, don't live the way this world lives. Don't conform. Let your way of thinking be completely changed, be transformed. Then you will be able to test what God wants for you, and you will agree that what he wants is right. His plan is good and pleasing and perfect. When you listen to God and when you test what you are hearing, you will find clarity in your life. And if you've never felt clarity in your life, I want to tell you it's, it's a great feeling. There's a quote that I love by James Allen The world steps aside for the man who knows where he is going. And it's that idea that that nothing can hold you back. You have no limits when you have clarity of where you're going and what it is that you're doing. Imagine if we filter that quote through a Christian context. When you have the clarity of purpose and mission and God on your side, your impact is going to be limitless. The world is not only going to step aside, okay, they're going to turn around, they're going to start following you because they see something different in you. They're going to be drawn to you because they they see the God that you're serving and and the the God who is supplying that purpose and everything that you need to accomplish that purpose. And I think that we often do a disservice to our future generations when we tell them that they can do anything. I, I think we mislead them when we do so. We put them on this endless pursuit of chasing after anything that pops into their mind. What if instead we started raising up our children, our youth, our college students to know that God has a specific purpose for them and their pursuit in life should be finding what that is. Just because you can do anything doesn't mean you should do anything. Don't waste your time doing anything. Spend your time fulfilling what God has created you to do. 
People chase the wrong things in life. In our society, happiness has been elevated as this primary pursuit. And I bet you're not going to find happiness from chasing after happiness, first of all. But even if you do, happiness, it's something that comes and goes. I can name several different things that I would take over happiness any day. Purpose, contentment, joy, fulfillment, clarity. Keep listening, keep testing, and you'll continually increase your clarity. You're going to continually become more focused. I, I like to study the habits of successful people. And sometimes it's businessmen and women, um, and I, I look at their lives and how they were able to create and sustain wealth. Sometimes it's Christians that I admire, and I want to become more and more like them. Other times it's professional athletes. And no matter what category it is, it seems that one thing that, that stands out to me each and every time is the clarity with which they live day in and day out. They wake up with a purpose. When you wake up with a purpose, you're going to live out your day with passion. People are going to notice it. They're going to recognize it. And these successful people, they don't allow extraneous details into their lives that, that cloud where they're going. They don't let drama in their life that's going to pull away from their focus. They guard themselves with relationships that they know are going to pull them down. And that they have a sense of clarity about where they're going and what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Imagine your potential when you have that same kind of clarity, but it's straight from God, the creator of the universe, the creator of time itself. In church, we, we often talk about the Great Commission, one of the most famous passages in the Bible where Jesus commissions his disciples, and I would say this, this commission fully applies to each one of us as Christians as well. And Jesus tells his disciples, go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Imagine if each of us had the clarity to clearly articulate how we fit into that commission and what we are doing on a daily or a weekly basis to see that commission accomplished. That's the kind of clarity that I want us to seek after throughout this series, throughout today. That kind of clarity, it's not going to be found quickly. It's the kind that's found from listening again and again and again. It's the kind that, that we take, okay, and we hear it, and we test it. And it might mean what we foresee as failing, okay, again and again. But God doesn't see it that way. He sees it as training, okay? He sees it as preparing us. I believe God wants us to have that kind of clarity that only he can give. But to arrive at that place of clarity, we need to listen. We need to test again and again what we hear. You pray with me this morning. God, I, I fully believe that you have a specific purpose for each one of us. I believe that you do have a very clear path for each of us with how we fit into that great commission. For some of us, it might be missionaries. For some of it, it's pastors. For others of us, it's being the best teacher that we can possibly be. It's being the best banker we can possibly be. Being the best stay-at-home mom we can possibly be. God, I pray that you would give us courage in our daily lives. I pray that you would give courage to all of the college students who are here today to live out what they believe, even when others call them foolish. 
God, I just pray that we would continue to to seek after you and what it is that you're telling us, that we would just close our mouths more often and just listen to what it is that you're telling us, that we would get in your word, that we'd be able to just read the Bible and more and more gain that clarity that comes from you. God, help us to not get stuck in this American rat race where it's just we we go to work and, and we're just stuck in this cycle where every day just becomes this routine thing. God, help help Sundays be a time where we can come here and we can break out of that cycle and that we can reevaluate our entire lives. We can reevaluate our thought process and ask you, are we focused? God, give us clarity. God, give us clarity. We pray this all in your name. Amen.